It's episode 308 of Crack the Customer Code, and we have a secret to tell you. So, Jeannie, I'm trying to figure out what is the future of me working with you? I have a few ideas. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> now that you asked. <laughs> or to quote Scooby-Doo, rut-row. <laughs> yep, that's definitely a rut-row. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking about the future of work today, and I'm really hoping it involves vacation. Uh, well, flexibility. How's that? Uh, flex time. Flexibility to have a vacation. <laughs> that's what you don't get when you're... <laughs> <laughs> entrepreneur but yeah right. so we're talking to jacob morgan and he is an expert he is a futurist who talks about the future of work and what are we all going to be doing and most importantly the trend lines that are affecting what we're doing now and how it's affecting work today and in the near future well and i think the really kind of compelling part that i liked about this was talking about what is the future like workplace, like it's, he's really identified the different uh, characteristics to look at. And one of them is a physical space. And one of them is uh, the changing demographics. And we got to talk to him about what he calls new behaviors. And so really thinking through all of that, it opens up this, this idea of, okay, if we're doing different work and we're behaving differently, what do we as leaders need to provide for the employees of the future too? Exactly. And it's an entire sort of calculus you have to put into that. And I will say for our particular venture together as a self-appointed CEO of the Crack the Customer Code podcast, I have decided we're having no more remote work. So I guess you're moving to Florida. <laughs> oh, man. You'll have to tell my kids. <laughs> like your kids would really be upset to move to Florida. <laughs> no. Oh, I was just thinking I would move. They would, they oh. would have to stay here. <laughs> Oh, geez. Well, I'm trying to break up your family. <laughs> jeez, uh, I mean, I know that I know the podcast is an important part of your life, but I mean, you know, the, the kids, well, the kids are at least rank up there somewhere. The important thing that we should recognize is that the self-appointed CEO part was a falsehood. <laughs> so <laughs> not the self-appointed part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, anyways, before we completely take this podcast <laughs> off the rails, why don't I uh, tell everyone a little bit about Jacob and get to this fantastic interview? Yes, please do. All right. Well, Jacob Morgan is a three-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, and futurist who explores the future of work and employee experience. His latest book is The Employee Experience Advantage, which came out in March of this year. Jacob is the creator of the Future of Work University and the Future If community. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes, we are thrilled you could join us today. So thanks for being here. And I'm so excited because I think the topics you discuss um, really kind of intersect with all parts of business. And yet we don't talk about them a lot, ironically, because... You discuss the future of work in most of what you do. And so my first question is really, why do you think this conversation about what's next for the workplace, why do you think that's so important? I think it's always been important, but it seems like nowadays there seems to be more fear, more uncertainty, more chaos, changes happening uh, at a more rapid pace. 
And so it's not like this is a new conversation. Uh, ever since work was around, there's always been a future of work. Mm -hmm. It's part of why I like to be in the industry, right? I always know I have a job because there's always a future of work. <laughs> um, but I think now it's just kind of a perfect storm for us to think about what that's going to look like, uh, whether you look at um, geopolitical issues, whether you look at what's going on with AI uh, and jobs or new generations of workers or the gig economy or the continued frustration that people have with educational institutions. Like there's just a lot of things that are happening at the same time that I really think is forcing organizations and individuals to really take a step back and think about, well, what, what is work? What should work be? And how do we build what we want it to be? Those are good questions. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that's, I think we should dig into those because you've identified five trends. You're talking about these sort of influences on the future. And one of the ones I was really intrigued by was the one you label new behaviors. So tell us a little bit about that trend and uh, what it's going to mean to us all in the future. New behaviors are, um, they've been continuously evolving over time and they've largely been fueled by a lot of the social technologies that we use. So if you think, for example, about how we're communicating and collaborating right now, uh, how you use something like a Netflix to consume content, how you purchase things on Amazon, how you research products and information, how you share ideas on blogs or on Twitter, uh, how you look up restaurants on Yelp. We have all these really amazing um, technologies that we use to get things done. And they've created these new behaviors for how we do these things. You, you, you don't research a project or a product anymore by going into a store. Um, you don't communicate with somebody just by picking up the phone Right, we have all these new ways that we're doing things uh, based on these social technologies that we use. And so a lot of companies around the world are trying to figure out how do we enable these new behaviors at work? So if it's so easy for us to communicate and collaborate in our personal lives, why is it so hard for us to do it when we show up to work? And so I think it's a very interesting and exciting trend. Um, it's one that we're seeing organizations investing heavily in and, and have been investing heavily in over the past few years. And so when I say new behaviors, that's ultimately what it's about. It's new behaviors that's shaped by these technologies. Well, and that's interesting because you just made me think of how, you know, my husband is a recruiter and the way hiring is done has changed dramatically in the last decade. And I think one of the things that he mentioned recently, which I hadn't really thought about, was that because people communicate differently now. They're, they're so comfortable texting. They're so comfortable with, you know, liking things on social networks that um, he has to really define that relationship very early. He has to say, this is the way we'll communicate because otherwise he'll be getting all these different, you know, candidates reaching out to him in all these different channels. And he doesn't want to miss anybody and he doesn't want to make people feel neglected. So he really had to define how that behavior was going to be with him. And it's something that I think when I was, you know, looking for a job and printing out resumes and things like that, they, there was a standard, there was a way it was done. And now everybody has different behaviors around how they communicate. And so it's just a whole new challenge that he's facing and even just hiring people to get to the workplace. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, when I, when I was applying for jobs, um, well, actually, after I left my corporate job, when I was looking for gig work, for freelance work to do, I had this, this tool that was called a Craigslist scanner. Mm. And it was basically this piece of software that you download. You put in some keywords, 
and it scans Craigslist in certain geographies um, based on the keywords that you put in. So if you type in, for example, online marketing strategy, it'll search all the job postings on Craigslist that have that word. Wow. And so that's how I would find uh, potential jobs that I would apply for. Mm -hmm. I also would submit resumes on Monster, um, you know, back when it was um, just purely kind of a, um, a job posting board. Mm-hmm. And I would submit, oh, God knows how many resumes and type in a separate cover letter for each one of those. And it was just a freaking nightmare. <laughs> um, and I think the hiring process today not entirely different, but it's moving towards that different direction, which I think is great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And I thought it was a good solution on his part to be proactive and say, this is the way you're going to communicate with me so that, um, you know, people understood the rules because everybody's different. There are so many different rules out there. So, you know, as we talk about this new workplace and these new behaviors and everything else, uh, one of the things we talk about here on the podcast a lot is that connection between employee experience and customer experience. They are absolutely uh, critically and forever connected because if you have a great employee experience, that will translate to a better customer experience and vice versa. So as you're exploring and researching what you do, I'm curious, what should leaders really watch out for regarding a slipping employee experience? Because we're talking about all these new ways of working, and yet for a long time, the standard was the standard. There was kind of the corporate office or the factory or whatever, and those worked for a very, very long time. So what are the cues from employees that leaders should look for that, huh, we've got to change something up here? What do you think? Well, uh, so you had my wife on the podcast who talks a lot about customer experience yeah. and um we both share a home office and sit side by side next to each other. So we we're always brainstorming ideas. And uh, when she's working on something or she's on a phone call and I hear what she's talking about, like we always just have these little back and forth. So <laughs> it's, it's great that you bring it up. Um, so there, there are a few things to say here. Um, the first and kind of the big pitfall that I always encourage organizations to be aware of is that don't look at any of these types of initiatives inside of your company as simply a change to perks uh, or a change to benefits, which is actually the way that most companies approach it. And they typically say, oh my goodness, employees are unhappy here. We should give them free food. We should give them like, um, you know, a big slide that goes from the first <laughs> to the second floor and bicycles. Foosball, and foosball invest- tables. <laughs> exactly, foosball, foosball tables. And what we find is that this does temporarily increase satisfaction over a short time period, but then over time it trails off and drops back down again. And so companies view this as kind of an adrenaline shot, Uh, whereas instead of making changes to the core workplace practices of the company, they simply view it as we're going to inject some sort of a drug to improve satisfaction temporarily. And when the drug wears off, we'll just inject it again. The problem with that, though, is that you never break through that certain plateau. Employees don't become more satisfied or more productive or more loyal. The company doesn't see more innovation or more profit above what their threshold always was. Like It just doesn't go up through that ceiling. And so if you're content with being average and content with just kind of floating around in this middle ground, hey, by all means, right? In- introduce perks and see how long that lasts. 
but companies really need to start evaluating these change, uh, changing their core workplace practices. What does it mean to be a manager or a leader? What is the hiring process like? What is the purpose of our workspace design? Like asking these core fundamental questions. Um, some cues to look out for from employees. Um, you know, if you're a good manager or a leader inside your company, you can very much tell when something's wrong. I always use the relationship analogy, right? If if my wife Blake comes home and, um, you know, she doesn't say anything, but I can just kind of like tell that something's off. Like if I'm a good husband, I'll know when something is off. And <laughs> you so, might not know what yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I don't know what. But or, if it's, or if it's you. Right. <laughs> it usually is me, but... Um, <laughs> But I won't know what I did to upset her until after she tells me. But as soon as she walks in the door, I'll, I'll get the look. I'll get something that's like, <laughs> oh, God, like I'm in trouble. Uh, so if you're a manager and a, and a leader inside of your company, if, and if you're having this ongoing dialogue and you have this relationship with your employees, you'll immediately know when something is wrong. Like it's, it's palpable, right? It's, it's there. So that's one way. Second way is very traditional, right? Companies do surveys, they do focus groups, they do pulse surveys. Um, you can start to look at and collect data from your employees to get a sense of what it's like to work there. And then you also have uh, financial metrics that you can look at. You can look at innovation. You can look at all sorts of different metrics to get a sense of um, what the health is of the company. Turnover, tenure, um, satisfaction levels, engagement levels. You have all sorts of metrics you can pick from. So what was interesting out of all of that is one, there's always this bond among husbands. So, you know, we just <laughs> have this bond, Janie, and I'm sorry, you just won't be able to grasp, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was interesting, you're talking, you know, when we look at the future of work, I'm curious, cause you're talking about how you design your workspace, how you uh, set up you know, all the different things culturally to essentially not get on this sort of incentive hamster wheel. So I'm going to take a little side detour cause I want to, you're just such an expert in this field. I want to know your, uh, I don't know, this might be a little controversial, your take on open offices and open floor plans. Cause you know, it seemed like that was the big thing for a while. Now it seems like we're in a big backlash. Where do you stand? Well, kind of neither. Um, the, the research that I did for my book found that the most successful organizations out there, they don't tend to pick a single floor plan. They actually invest in a diversity of floor plans. And it's, it's sort of like a house, right? Now, consider that you spend almost as much time at work as you do at home. Yet, you wouldn't buy a house that has one room in it. You wouldn't just buy a house that had a kitchen and everything you do is in the kitchen. So why should you work inside of a place where you spend almost as much time as you do at home? Why would you want to spend just as much time in one single environment? Amen. It doesn't make sense. And so... Uh, studies also have found that, and this this one was done by Leesman Index in the UK, they found that during the course of a day, an employee can perform up to 21 different types of activities, anything from focus time to collaboration time, um, all sorts of different things. And so organizations need to be aware that work is changing dramatically. It's becoming more creative. It's becoming collaborative. It's becoming diverse and distributed and 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 multitasking and dynamic. And it's in a way, it's a little bit chaotic. And you can't fit work into the cubicle box anymore. And the leading companies, what they do is they create a diversity of work plans or work uh, workspaces. So you walk into an organization like a Cisco or an SAP or an Airbnb or a LinkedIn, and you will see that you might have 
um, a large open space, but you will have quiet areas, cafe spaces, lounge areas, outdoor spaces, quiet isolation pods where you can be alone. You'll have conference rooms. You'll have all sorts of different environments that you can pick and choose from. And that is the direct, the direct, the, um, geez, I'm slurring over my words. My goodness. <laughs> That's the direction. I get so excited. I'm speaking too fast. That's the direction that most organizations are going down is they are leveraging multiple workspace options instead of just one. Um, so either open or either closed. I don't think either of those are a good solution. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. See, that's what's really always bugged me about this entire topic is the sort of either or, you know, Pepsi or Coke, you got to choose one type of thing, as opposed to either having options as you're talking about or figuring out the one that may be best for certain job, you know, certain job descriptions. I mean, you know, it was remote working now, like IBM and Yahoo are pulling back on that. And I think everybody's trying to sort out uh, the, the different yeah the different ways to do these things but they're always sort of looking at it as an all or nothing prop i shouldn't say always but a lot of them are looking at it as this all or nothing proposition either this is the way or that's the way so it's refreshing to hear you say hey we're looking at a mix we're looking at a hybrid we're looking at trying to give different options for different types of work so i think that's super refreshing and well, i'll just oh sorry i was just going to add to that that there's a company i know here in chicago and they just moved from one office to another And instead of getting more space, what they realized was their people preferred to work from home when or work from their space when they were kind of heads down working on something. But they needed that collaboration space. They needed uh, some offices. They had a lot of meetings, a lot of travel. So they created an office that they call a studio. And they they designed it so that they have lots of smaller kind of temporary spaces that people can use if they're there and that everybody's welcome every day. And I said, well, how did you know, like how many people would be here on a given day? And he said, I didn't know, but I, I basically looked around at the averages that we had and we had anywhere from, you know, 10 to 25 people. And when they do big company events, they rent space in the building, um, And it just like it was so thoughtful because they really just needed space for a very specific reason. And so instead of kind of drowning in real estate, which some of the tech companies used to do, they decided to be a little more innovative. And I thought that was really creative. And, you know, the employees were thrilled with it because it's a beautiful office. It's a great location. It's really accessible. And that's really what they were looking for was just somewhere that they could go when they needed it instead of every day. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big believer in as much flexibility as you can give employees. Uh, I think that is that is a very very key element when I think about um, any kind of future of work. Flexibility, also accountability, but flexibility is is very very important. Well, that's a great segue because when you talk about flexibility, that's essentially empowerment in a lot of ways. I mean, they're different, but they're really closely related and uh, flexibility is obviously part of empowerment. What do you see the future of employee empowerment being? Because it seems like we all know the value. I talk about it all the time. Gene talks about it all the time. We know how powerful it is, both from a customer experience standpoint as well as an employee experience standpoint. But now with social and with uh, you know, the microphone any one person can have that missteps, it seems like there's a lot of risk aversion as well from companies. So where do you see this trend heading? 
So when you say um, employee empowerment and risk aversion, are you just specifically talking about kind of um, giving more power to employees and, and potential risks with doing that? Exactly right. I mean, you've, you've got risks of, especially with social media and those types of things, of things being uh, public. Uh, you've got a more litigious society. You've got, uh, in larger corporations, you've certainly got legal uh, dictating you know, parameters and procedures and things like that that, obviously, that often constrain employees. And there's a tension there, I think, in a lot of organizations I've seen where uh, you know, it's the lawyers versus how much can we empower the employees. Yep. No, you're right. Um, and I actually had a, um, no offense little... to the lawyers, by the way, we love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there was a graphic that I created a little while ago. Um, and it was kind of a seesaw, um, where I had employees on one side, organizations on the other side. And in the middle to balance it all out was this, um, a little lever called transparency. And so I'm a big believer in that the best way to balance organizational control with employee freedom is to be as transparent as you can about why the organization does or doesn't do something um, and, and why they came to that decision. So if employees want a specific workplace practice or a tool or a technology or the ability to do something, and you as an organization are not willing to offer that, don't just say no, but help employees understand why. And if employees come back and say, we have a solution around that, you need to be prepared to listen to that solution and see if you might be able to work it in. So going back to the relationship analogy as well, I think it's always about compromise. It's about transparency and it's about having that fair balance. The, the big frustration has always been that organizations used to have a lot of the power inside of, uh, well, inside of companies. Organizations always used to have all the power when it came to work. They set the rules, they set the standards, and if you didn't want to do what they told you to do, get out. Today, we're starting to see that a lot of this power is shifting towards employees. Because when a company used to have a job that it was offering, everybody would line up around the block to take that job. Today, when a company has a job that it's offering, employees take a step back and they say, yeah, I don't know, why don't you tell me about it? Why don't you convince me as the employee why I should come work for you? Whereas before, it used to be about the employee convincing the organization why they should work there. So we've definitely seen the seesaw kind of shift in the direction of employees, which I actually think is a good thing. It's forcing organizations to change and rethink their practices. Um, but at the end of the day, I think employee empowerment is great. I think um, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing for us to see. And you know, there used to be lots of conversations back in the day about not allowing employees to use social media at work. And today, a lot of those conversations have since kind of died away. And most organizations have since said, you know, it's fine, do what you want, just get the job done. And I think that's the direction that a lot of companies are going down. Now, having said that, if you have a terrible organization, you can bet that you're going to read about it on Glassdoor. You're going to see tweets. You're going to see Facebook posts. You're going to see blog posts um, like we saw about Uber and we saw about Google and all these other, you know, what everybody thought were wonderful organizations to work for. That's the nature of the game, right? That's the nature of the game. If you as an organization are consistently trying to create great employee experiences, um, hopefully those things will be minimized. But they're not unavoidable. It's going to happen. It's a part of the game. If you play any sport, you're going to get hurt. It's how you bounce back from it. Yeah, that's a good way to to put it. And uh, 
you know, when those conversations were happening about should employees have social media, and even before that with email, there was a discussion about does everybody in the organization really need email? My dad said something to me that really stuck with me because he said, that's probably what happened when everybody got a phone at their desk for the first time, you know, like instead of the switchboard. (laughs) And so it's every time we introduce a new way to connect, there are risks with it. And there's also great opportunity with it. It's just a matter of kind of getting to that point where we can release that control a little bit. So, well, this was a fascinating discussion. And I think that as we think about the future of work, I get excited about what we don't know yet. Like who knows what we'll be talking about in 10 years because the world is changing so quickly and there's so much cool stuff happening. And I love that it's more about, even with all the advancements and technology and everything else, it's really more about the people than it has been in the past. And I think that's really exciting. So thank you for sharing all this with us and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks so much, Jacob. All right. Well, I guess I have some work to do around the future of my work. (laughs) (laughs) Very profound. No, I mean, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, it's really, you know, we keep talking about millennials and changing behaviors and everything else regarding the customer experience, but I really like kind of peeling the layers of the onion around work because that's really, um, you know, we we all have to uh, we all have to bring home the bacon. And if if we're not looking at how to do that in the future, then we will be obsolete, and our companies will be obsolete, and our customers will leave us. So well, it's really important to think about. And, and I think there's a a real challenge with navigating the pace of change. And mm-hmm. you know, we sort of alluded to this in the discussion with Jacob, which is you know the, sort of the legal issues and empowerment but really the pace of change of how work is operationally occurring and all the sort of legacy uh, policies and procedures, HR rules, Mm -hmm. laws, a lot of which, and not all of it's bad, of course, and not all of it's out of date, but a lot of which is at sort of uh, contretemps (laughs) with, uh, (laughs) throw in your SAT word for today. Uh, you know, with with uh, some of the trends and what what's mm-hmm. happening with uh, work today, so it, it's a very dynamic and very challenging, I think, area of employee experience and supporting that. Of course, our topic, customer experience. So, mm-hmm. more on this to come. But this was fantastic, and I learned a lot. So, take us away, Jeannie. <laughs> well, thank you. We hope you stay with us in the future just like you were here today. So thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, check out C-Suite TV for in-depth interviews and business content. It's all on demand at csuitetv.com. We do really appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Kapoor, and you can learn more about me at our customer service workshop as well as online training at
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.